You're listening to the pre-recorded worship service of the McGregor Evangelical Mennonite Church for July 11th, 2021. We are here to worship the one true God who created all things. Nothing created is to be worshipped, but only the mighty creator. Let's sing together, I sing the mighty power of God. Psalm 90, NIV. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you swept people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered.
our song of confession. Please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you this weekend so very thankful for the break in the heat over this past week. We know that it wasn't the break needed out west, but for us it was so very welcomed. God, we continue to pray for rain in our land. It is well past beginning being a real issue for our farmers and their crops. And so, Lord, we pray, send the rains, not only to us, but also to the West as well, where the heat has been worse, where wildfires are beginning to burn out of control. God, we place this in your hands. It seems like something that is so big, but at the same time, every year we have seen you deal with it. And so, again, we pray, Lord, 
take this from us. And God, as we begin to hear rumors once again that things will finally be opening and that as a congregation, soon we will be able to meet face to face again. Lord, this has us excited. And so God, we pray, put in all of our hearts that that excitement. Put in all of our hearts that eagerness. Put in all of our hearts that wanting to see the rest of our brothers and sisters in Christ from our congregation again. So that when we meet each other, it will not simply be a passive, hey, how are you, but will instead be truly to the core of our being, a life-changing moment. And God, we also pray that when it comes, through what happens, we will be able to see you clearer than ever before. That we will be able to see your leadings clearer than we ever thought possible. So that when the time comes so very soon that we can feel it, for us to be able to operate at full swing again, that we serve as you call us in North Norfolk with everything that we are. Lord, this we place in your hands as well. Our God, we thank you so very much for having been with us over the weeks, over the months, over the years that have gone by. And so now we pray as we go forward that we do not forget the lessons you have taught us, that we use the things that we have learned during these past years to build your coming kingdom like has never been seen before. In your name we pray. Amen. Our Song of Assurance
am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Hello! And welcome to our second outing in our summer series where we tackle the Ten Commandments. Where we look at them one by one, asking ourselves the question of why, of all the possible laws out there, is it these items that deserve to be on this important list? It is our hope that in asking exactly this question, that we will find out not just what we Christians are to be against, but more importantly, much more importantly, what we as believers are supposed to be for, and how we should live our daily lives in response. And so, with that quick series summary out of the way, now we move on to commandment number two, found in Exodus 24 to 6, a commandment that is heavily connected to the first. In its short form that we likely have all heard before, the commandment is, thou shalt not make any graven images. And with that, let's begin. Now this is a commandment that is both a little foreign to us today, but is also, as we are about to see, still very applicable as well. It's foreign to us, I would say, because when we think of the command, no graven images, I think often our mind just goes to things like statues of people, maybe of old saints in old churches or statues in parks. Things built in the honor of the people they represent. Often I hear the argument made that they are built for historical record more than anything else, but I think that is being a little dishonest because there is an awful lot of history out there, but we only make statues of a very few amount of the people in it. So there, I would say, is always some amount of decision to honor the subjects who we build these statues for. And as we see in the world around us, this decision of statues to honor people is running into very real problems, even in the here and now. But this is how I would say, for the most part, we understand the purpose of statues and images today as honorifics. However, this is not how people in the time of Moses would have understood idols, statues, images, and their purpose. And I think that this is important to keep in mind because otherwise we might start equating things that shouldn't necessarily be equated. For back then, the purpose of these things, of idols, statues, images, was much more mystical. And because of that, it was much more practical as well. To put it simply, back then, where you would find one of these things, an idol, a statue, or an image, it was not understood just to be some object to remind you to honor someone. But it was instead considered to be an actual extension of that thing or person's being. That is to say, if you had an idol of the Egyptian god Ra, say, it was not just that you had a toy that looked like Ra, but instead, in a very real sense, it was thought that Ra was where that idol was. 
Obviously, it was also thought that Ra was still riding his boat through the sky, but he was also understood to, in some real way, be where that idol of him was as well. This is a big difference between idols and images then as compared to now. Now we understand idols and images mainly as honorifics, and that gets into problems all of its own. But then, where that idol was, where that image was, there the thing it was made in the likeness of was, in a very real way, understood to be as well. And this is the key to understanding what this commandment is all about, this understanding of images and idols, that where the image and idol was, there the thing it was made to look like actually was. Because since this was understood to be true, that idols and images were real manifestations of the things that they looked like, then it should not come as a surprise that idols and images found their way into common usage in everyday life in a number of ways, many of them very problematic. For the sake of today, we are going to look at just three, each of which warrants God's ban of their practice by itself. The first has to do with religious practice. And this was common not only with the ancient Egyptians. You name a people from that time and chances are that they used idols and images in their religious lives. You can actually see this practice earlier in the Bible in the book of Genesis in chapter 31. In that story, the character Rachel is running away from her father's house with her husband and as they flee, she steals the household gods, we are told, the household gods of her father, to bring with her. They're little idols that are made in the image of the gods of the region. We are not told which gods of the region in this story, but the idols of them were kept in her father's home, and it's that which she took. And this was done for a number of reasons. Two big ones. First, since the idols were understood to be a literal manifestation of a god, it was only logical that if that god was in your house, clearly they would want the place to be spruced up a bit. After all, what God wants to live in a dump. So a kind of contract ends up being formed in which the household will care for the idol, sacrifice to it, involve it in their daily lives, and in return, the God of the idol will look after the household and bless that family in its endeavors. And second, having household idols made worshipping the gods just so much more convenient. There was no cars in those days, and carts and horses were so expensive that when ancient sources talk about the wealth of Egypt, they define it by the number of chariots that they could afford to keep. Long-distance travel at that time, it was dangerous, it was tedious, and it was time-consuming. But if you wanted a good harvest, it was assumed that you would make an offering to the fertility goddess. If you had a health concern, it was expected that you would give to the gods for healing. If you lived far away from the nearest temple or holy site, either that meant that you needed to risk your life traveling to do that, or you could have some household gods with you. And then you could do a lot of those same things instead of by going to a temple, all from the comfort of your own home. Not all religious practices could be subbed in this way, but a lot of them could. And so, again, it just made worshipping the gods just so much more convenient. This is why Rachel took them, amongst a number of other reasons. But these two things played a big part. And here we begin to see some of the major issues that God has with these idols 
that warrant doing away with them altogether. Because what do you think happens to people when they have a contract that more or less guarantees in their minds that if they act in a certain way, the gods will surely bless them? What do you think happens to people who decide that they do not need to be inconvenienced by their faith? Well, the same thing that happens to people that think like that now. Those people get very big for their britches. After all, they are making their faith subject not to the needs and wants of their gods, but to themselves. Their faith stops being about their gods, and instead it becomes about them. And this is a big problem that God has with people all throughout the Old Testament, and it could be seen prominently amongst the worshippers of idols at that time. But as I said, this isn't the only issue that God has with idols and images either. Here's the second major issue. In those days, idols were not only made of gods. Just like today, they were often made of kings and rulers as well. Why? Well, again, travel was hard. But if you were a king and you put a lot of effort into conquering a new region, you didn't just want the people there to revolt the moment that your army left. So what you would do is you would build an image of yourself and you would stick it right there in the middle of their town. And then the same thing would play out. As the image of the king is there, there the king was understood to rule as well, to be as well. Act out against him and his wishes, and you can rest assured that soon the army will be back to re-establish that rule. I suppose this might be sounding kind of similar to a lot of the complaints about statues we're seeing today as well. Now, if this sounds like the kings of that time are getting just a bit high and mighty for themselves, making images in their likeness like the gods did, only to remind a people that they were under his foot, then you are absolutely reading that dynamic right. It was not rare in those days for the kings to present themselves as minor deities to their people, minor gods for whom worship would often have been somewhat expected. But regardless of if they said they were minor gods or not, they were still people, the same as everyone else. And so again, God very much so picks issue with this. And this actually leads us to the third major problem of idols and images that would prompt God to call for their abolition altogether. And it can be found in Genesis 1. There it talks about how humanity is itself made in the image of God. And this description absolutely uses the same language of images as we see in this commandment. The implication being that since we humans are made in the image of God, wherever we are, God is showing the world that he reigns. Not that where we are, we reign, but where we are, God reigns. So if that is true, how can we ever be in the same vicinity of other idols and icons made of lesser beings without it being a conflict of who is really in charge. And it's more than that even. Because that we know from Genesis 1, that we are made in God's image. What that means is that we are created with value and purpose. Value and purpose that is sullied and violated every time we place another idol or image in authority over us. When this happens, we are lowering ourselves from the place of value that God created us to hold. It lessens us. It detracts from who we are. So how could our God be okay with our doing this when it hurts us 
we who are the ones that we saw last week, our Lord truly cares for. But it's for these three reasons, along with a bunch of lesser ones, that we can see why this commandment deserves to be in this place of prominence on the list. Because idols and images and their usage, it's dangerous. It carries existential destruction in its wake. In its use in religious practice at the time, it caused people to think that they were so mighty that they had sway over the gods themselves. An outlook that always ends in grinding other people into the ground. In its political application, it was used as tools of kings to oppress vast swaths of people, convincing citizens that their rulers were to be thought of as in some way divine themselves. And in its theological application, it was a practice that flew headlong both into the sovereignty of our God in our world and most importantly served to devalue the people that he cares for an atrocity that our Lord never stands to see carry on. This is why idol worship is said to be a curse for multiple generations, as we see in verse 6 of our passage today. Not because later generations who are innocent are punished for the sins of their parents, but because idol worship is so insidious that it worms its way into the hearts of our children to which they take up the practice themselves and are in turn made less for it. And so... If we care for them at all, the commandment teaches, we are to cut this cancer from our lives immediately. So what should we be for if we are against idols and images in our lives? Well, by my reckoning, this means that we are to be for the opposite of everything that we have seen above. If the worship of idols causes us to think that our faith, in a way, places us at the center as the purpose of it, then to do away with idols entirely, I figure, can certainly mean that now we are to think of the purpose of our faith as making the center God and moving toward God. And this, I say, is an important point to remember just about now. Because if what this commandment is trying to address are religious practices that make us feel like we are in some way in control of God, that problem, I dare say, is still very much so with us today. Late night TV infomercials abound with this garbage, as does social media. With false teachers telling us that if only we just apply this special oil that they're selling to our wallets, then we can watch the money roll in. With false teachers telling us that if we send regular donations to their big tent ministry, our hip injury will finally be healed. Our world is filled to the brim with hucksters who tell us if only we just take one bit of scripture fully out of context while ignoring everything else, God will do as we tell him to. We will have cracked the code. And my brothers and sisters, I tell you now that there is no place for these idols in our land. So if they are in your home, I plead with you, cut them out. And you can begin by stopping approaching scripture, by asking what it can do for you. What can it tell you about how you should live your life? Scripture can do a lot for you, and it has a lot to say about how you should live your life, but if that is your first goal when you go to it, you are going to read things into it that are simply not there. Because what scripture is not is the story of you. This is the approach taken by the hucksters that I mentioned above. And so I tell you instead, approach scripture by asking first, what does it reveal about who God is? 
What does it tell you about what God has done for you and the world? What does it tell you about who and what God is for? That should be your starting point. Not yourself and what you can get from your faith, but instead getting to know God and making him the center of everything. That should be the place from where everything else flows. That should be the place that you start to which after you ask the questions of how to apply God's teachings to your life, to approach your faith in any other way and in any other order is to find yourself on the path of making an idol of yourself worshipped in the place of our God. Next, If the political manifestations of idol worship would have us place our rulers in the position of infallible gods above us, then to do away with idols must mean that we see these people in control as people, just as we are, and that the realms they rule over are God's realms above belonging to anyone else. And in this current political climate we are in, I dare say again that this is a point that is really worth us reclaiming because if what this commandment is is trying to address kings and political systems who wish to place themselves above all in the lives of their citizens, then I dare say we are still in that world today. Because find me a politician or a party who does not claim that their platform and their ideas will heal all the ills of the world around them. Find me a politician that does not claim that they have the big answers and that if you just follow them unquestioningly, everything is going to be all right. Find me a party that does not try to sell a worldview for you to live by to understand what is right and what is wrong and who is good and who is bad. They do not exist. And every last one of those things I listed is infringing on the territory of our God. My brothers and sisters, there is no place for these idols in our land. There is no such thing as a perfect political party. And so if you find one to be in your mind above reproach, know it has become your idol and you need to cut it out. This is God's realm in which we live, which means as Christians that we are not called to be sycophants of any party in control or otherwise. No, we are to be a check on them, for we are called to be the people that work for something greater in the world. This means that we are to be the people that work towards the coming kingdom of heaven that our Lord lays out for us in so much detail in the Sermon on the Mount. The world that would see those who are the least among us lifted high. The world that cares about seeing past wrongs healed. The world that would see the scars of our actions on creation not only just addressed but also undone. The world where all people are seen as equal in the eyes of our God and his followers. These are our goals And every party has some policies that will work towards meeting their ends. But parties change and policies change. And so too should our vote and support change based on the circumstances. Our loyalty is not to be to our leaders who are human just as we are, but to God and the coming kingdom of heaven that he would have us help build. This doesn't mean that in an election cycle there isn't a party that you should be throwing your weight behind. But instead, 
don't slip into the trap of thinking something is God that isn't. To do anything else than this is to make our rulers and their agendas the idols we worship in place of our God. And finally, if idol worship would have us degrading ourselves, lessening our own value to put others in positions above us, doing away with idol worship, I reckon, would be to begin to see ourselves as just as valuable as other human beings are, to see each other as God sees us. And if this is the case, I dare say one last time that especially now, this commandment truly applies to us. Because we live at a time that seeks to write off the well-being and even the life of others if they inconvenience us even in small ways. We live in a world where invisible borders, history, genetic traits that we are born with, gender, orientation, political or economic ideology, even the year we were born in, are enough of a reason to warrant disregarding and discarding the personhood, the opinion, and the well-being and treatment of other people. You do not need to be on social media for more than a few moments to catch that this is terrifyingly true. And my brothers and sisters, there is no place for these idols in our land. So if they are in your home, cut them out. In all that you do, that communicates with, that impacts other human beings, when you think of them even, remember that you are dealing with someone who is made in the image of our God, whether they know it or not. And because of this, this means that they deserve to be treated as human beings, just as you are. There is no waiving this truth. It is literally a golden rule. This does not mean that people are above reproach. This does not mean that people do not need to answer for their actions, but instead, simply, that people are always people. And you do not have the ability or the right to strip that from them because it was God who placed it there. So in all that you do, act toward others with the knowledge that they are made in the image of our Lord because to do anything else is to make something other than what it should be, an idol that you worship in place of our God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. You shall not make any graven images. That is the summary of the commandment that we covered today. Why is this commandment one that we Christians have been set to follow? Because as Christians, we are to be for placing God first in our lives. We are to be for understanding people to be equal with our Lord's realm being all of creation. And because we are to be for understanding all human beings as valuable as they were made in the image of our God. And idol worship runs afoul of all of that. So instead, live in this way, the way that our God puts forward in this commandment. And for a thousand generations, we read, we will know the blessings of the one who cares for us. Let's respond by singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
And today, once again, by distance, we will be having the Lord's Supper. And so, if you have your bread and your juice on you, I ask you to pick them up now. For we read in 1 Corinthians, The tradition I received from the Lord and also handed on to you was on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this as a memory of me. For whenever you eat this bread, then, and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. At McGregor EMC, we believe that all Christians are called to join together in the celebration of our Lord's scene in communion. Be you a member of our church or not. We would ask that if you have little ones with you, parents, make the decision for yourself whether or not you think they are in a place to understand what it is that is happening at this time. In this action, we are joining together, not only though we are far apart, but also through time as well with all the other believers in the history of the church straight back to Christ himself. And so I ask you, please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you now at communion, so very thankful to be able to join with you and the rest of the church and believers in this way, particularly over the last year or so since the beginning of the pandemic. We have felt so very distant. We have felt so very removed from one another. But in this, we are together again. And you were there at the head of the table. And so, God, I pray, impress upon us just how big that is. Don't let that escape from us. Our Lord, we say thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. And so we take the elements. And together... Let us eat, and let us drink. Please join me now in reciting the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Today's benediction comes from the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go now and serve our God. Satisfy us in the morning with your love. Satisfy us in the morning with your love. That we may sing for joy and be glad in all our days. Satisfy us in the morning with your love. Match the days, Lord, of our sorrow with your joy. 
Catch the day's Lord of our sorrow with your joy. May your deeds be always known to the ones you call your own. Match the day's Lord of our sorrow with your joy. May the favor of the upon us and our land and establish for us all the work of our hands yes the work of our hands Lord for us you have been a refuge from age to age Lord for us you have been a to age before the mountains were born and the earth and the world brought forth you are the everlasting lord may the favor of the lord rest upon us and our land and establish for us all of our hands, yes, the work of our hands.